Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Michael Leader. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Ella Kemp. On the show this week, the true story that became a musical sensation, Everybody's Talking About Jamie, the latest film from Joe Lawler and Christine Malloy, Rose Plays Julie, and in Film Club, to celebrate 20 years since its premiere, we're taking the wig out of the box and revisiting Hedwig and the Angry Inch. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, welcome back, listeners. David, welcome back from Venice. Hey. It's a pleasure to have you back on. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I came back with a, a spot of COVID, which was uh, which is always welcome, but uh, no well, no symptoms so far. So, uh, yeah, no, 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 nothing too bad on that front. But, yeah, just uh, day, day eight of quarantine. What better way to enliven a quarantine than recording a Truth and Movies podcast? I mean... We're broadening your horizons, we're reaching out to you. It's a tonic. (laughs) Ella, welcome back to the show. So you've been on the podcast before, but a while ago, and since we've relaunched the podcast, because we did that earlier in the year, we like to reintroduce all our regular contributors. So Ella, Ella Kemp, who are you and what do you do? The big question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's lovely to be back. Thanks for having me. Uh, I am a film critic uh, I write for Empire, for NME, for Little White Lies, and I run the film section at The Quietus and the Girls on Top's editorial platform. Yeah, you're one of the hardest working, busiest people. Oh, well. <laughs> I know. So, but what, what sort of films are your jam? If you we're introducing yourselves to our listeners, uh, Do you have a particular spot, a particular uh, you know, track that you like to run. I do. So, I mean, my prepared answer for my favourite film of all time. This is really going to upset David, and I know this in advance. And I forgot this before I came on the podcast, but here we are. Uh, it's Moulin Rouge. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not proud. Uh, I feel like I've ruined the mood of the podcast already. But you know, that's me. What? No apology required, because of course this is quite a musical 
week, exactly. right? So the perfect guest uh, for, for these films. And do you like talking, Ella? Do I like talking? Um, yeah. I, I, yes. I, I, I don't not enjoy talking. Because this week everybody's talking about a particular person. Everybody's talking about Jamie. Everybody's talking about Jamie. This celebratory musical spectacle follows teenager Jamie New, who dreams of a life on stage. While his classmates plan their livelihoods after they leave school, Jamie contemplates revealing his secret career ambition to become a fierce and proud drag queen. So, Ella, you said you were a big musicals fan. Were you? Did you have much of a history with Everybody's Talking About Jamie beforehand? I actually didn't. I mean, Everybody's Talking About Jamie was one of those things that I would see the posters all the time on the tube, and every single time I'd say, I should go and see this, because the posters are still here, and everyone still loves it. Um, but never got round to it, and then, you know, theatre stopped for a, a very long time, and now there's a film. So I was like, oh, well, mm-hmm. you know, I suppose I don't need to as much. Um, but no, I, I, I didn't really know anything about it at all. So it it was such a nice surprise. I had such a lovely time. Oh, wow. So introduce us a little bit to the film then. What should we expect if we haven't seen, if we've only seen the posters beforehand? So it is a full-blooded movie musical, which I think is done really really well um it's very earnest it's very theatrical it's very direct um i think it's very unapologetic in how 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 sweet it is and 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 how cheesy it is but I, i i think that's an asset because i can think of a lot of movie musicals in the last couple of years which is just a bit flat and who just rely on the songs a bit too much like assuming that the audience knows those songs and therefore nobody needs to act or believe a word of what they're saying whereas I felt like with everybody's talking about Jamie they were trying so hard with every second to be like come on like you're invited like this look how much this matters look how high stakes this 16 year old's life in Sheffield Sheffield it's Sheffield yeah yeah look how high stakes it is um which I really appreciated Hmm. David, did you appreciate everybody's talking about Jamie? <laughs> We've talked before about your your taste in musicals. Were you a fan of this one? Well, just just to go back to something before, yeah, I'm I, I'm not a massive fan of uh, of Moulin Rouge, but but I, I respect all tastes and creeds, and you know this that let, let us be no, let there be no antagonism between us for that for that. Um, you know, I don't resent you at all, uh, not much. Thank anyway. you, David. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, so I, I, yeah, I guess I had a similar experience of of like every every tube escalator ride going past three smiling Jamies like every time, and I think my perception of it was that it was something that, that and and I think I think it, so so it started as a kind of smaller production in Sheffield and then sort of graduated to the West End quite quickly, and I think my perception of it that was that it was a bit kind of edgy and 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 unique and interesting and um and 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 i think what what one of the things that i maybe didn't shine to the film so much about was was like discovering the story as being fairly tame i thought like it was a it felt to me like a very very simple kind of coming of age story where you have a a central character who you're rooting past almost like the kind of billy elliott arc where you have northern town iconoclast railing against the, the 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 arrogance and ignorance of peers parents all that you have the sort of loving mother and the father who's like oh he's just a he's just a fairy and 
you know it it i i, I was surprised at how kind of like i i, I almost felt like that that it wasn't doing enough or going far enough it was very kind of it, it it almost felt like a throwback to like a decade two decades ago like you look at some of the that are about this kind of subject area now and it feels like we're sort of move moving on and and you know it kind of like i know i, I realize that there is still a lot of you know people who who aren't accepting of like the the, the these kind of people the, and like you know lifestyles and people and certain sort of sexualities but this felt quite sort of like it felt weird to see like we're back at the the kind of homophobic old dad kind of stereotype um i uh, yeah i i i there was a bit of a i don't know i i found the film maybe a little bit a bit of a kind of itv2 energy like it, it felt like something that you'd see on tv rather than a film um like in the cinema and i and i guess it'll it'll probably work better as as a kind of streaming thing on amazon prime than than it would in a cinema maybe um yeah i i thought the songs i thought the songs were decent um it you know the the central performance was very was very game and 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 you know he 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 really kind of goes for it and the 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 you know he he can do everything that needs to be done the, the singing the dancing um but yeah it, they're just that they, they just felt something a little bit school playish about it um sharon horgan it was a very strange strange to see her in that role i mean what what do you guys think about that like she she's she it's... she she that that felt like kind of counter casting to me where she's playing a teacher who is she's like the baddie teacher which you kind of don't really mm. expect of someone who's like you know not that well Ella, let's talk about casting in a second but i suppose david some context to what you're saying if it feels at all out of date or you know may, maybe slightly past it it's working all the way back to the source it was based on a documentary that was on telly a decade ago now 10 years ago and about that sort of specificity of the story of course the blurb we just read sounds like it's going to be this great coming of age drag queen odyssey when really the central plot is just jamie new is a graduating teenager and wants to wear a dress to his prom and that's what the documentary is it's such a specific thing and the documentary plays like a billy elliott or you know or any of those late 90s sort of um uh kitchen sink meets uh you know um popcorn film like full monty or brassed off uh it's yeah but does this work now? And I suppose the casting is part of it. So Ella, let's go through some of those uh, casting choices. David mentioned Sharon Horgan. I guess they're bringing in a few familiar faces like Sarah Lancashire, who has an incredible TV career, not much of a film career. But also the big thing about the lead character, Jamie New, is we have a new Jamie in Max Harwood. So do you want to start with Max and work down the cast? Any highlights, lowlights? Yeah, I I, I was so impressed by Max. Um it's his, it's his first ever screen role and it's i don't know i think i think that happened that i think that tends to happen a lot with movie musicals like i remember um when netflix adapted prom they they'd cast a newcomer to to play the the teenage girl in it um another film about a girl who wants to go to prom um and she she was great she could she she was a very good singer but i i just didn't believe anything she was saying whereas i think max harwood was just I was I was so impressed. I thought he just has this kind of confidence about him and this weird kind of elegance as well and just very 
I think he seems very comfortable as as a performer um, while playing this teenager who is obviously, you know, grappling through with these things which are... He's got these struggles and things are awkward and difficult, but as as someone who's supposed to carry a film, uh, I thought it was so convincing. Um, yeah, great singing voice, very good dancer. Um, and I'd, I'd be really curious to watch him just act in more films. And I, I don't often find that with, um, you know, newcomers in musicals who are just there because they're really good singers. So um, well done. <laughs> Max Harwood, I enjoyed <laughs> your performance. Let's keep an eye out for him in the future. Yeah. But we should talk about, I mean, one of the other big stars who's in this version of uh, Jamie, which is Richard E. Grant, mm. with, um, you know, a northern accent. It's quite a choice. It's his set in, you know, set in Sheffield, so he, he decided to commit to that. Uh, what did we make of, uh, of Richard E. Grant in this? I mean, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm always happy to see him. Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad he's here. I'm glad he's doing things. I, I don't know how much... Uh, him being cast in this role made sense to me. I think in in some of these instances where where you have an actor who you know in an unlikely role, I, I get this very cathartic, like satisfying moment where I think, oh, that makes complete sense. Why didn't I ever think of it? Um, I didn't quite think that for this one. I was just like, oh, nice to see him, I guess. Um, I, I'm not. Look, I'm. I can't do a northern accent to save my life, so I I cannot comment on how good his <laughs> accent was. Uh, I noticed that, you know, he doesn't usually do that. Um, his singing voice was good. He can walk in heels. It does come in and out, doesn't it? And, and he has the benefit of when his song comes in, he's replaced by Holly Johnson of Frankie Goes to Hollywood, one of the great singing voices. Okay, I did wonder, well, yeah, I thought, oh, suddenly this is incredible. Well done, Richard. What have you done? Yeah, that was wow, good. I did, that is, a, that is yeah. an amazing piece of trivia. I, I, kind, of, I kind of thought that, like, it's one of those things where, where I was watching it thinking, hold on, you've just been nominated for an Oscar. And this, this was your like ch- choice of like, this is what, this is my bounce back. This is what I'm going to do next. Like, I, it, it, I was trying to sort of like untangle that in my mind that it just seemed like a very strange, I guess maybe a little, uh, a little bit, a little bit different for, for him. Maybe him wanting to sort of get the cobwebs out and try, try sort of like something more widow twanky panto type thing. Um, but yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a strange, strange perf- performance. <laughs> uh, but but not like it, it definitely kind of like you 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 you're on your toes while he, when he's on the screen because anything can happen. And I, mm-hmm. I I think there are there are those you know, little funny moments where his very kind of you know posh uh, London accent comes through. <laughs> Like the end of at the, at the end of sentences, so yeah, it, it's a bit of a tightrope walk with him with the accent, but no, not not uh, not unpleasurable. I thought. <laughs> I've, I've been recommended, you know, talk, talking about the accent in this. That to go and check out Richard e. Grant's series right around the world on iPlayer, where it sounds like he assumes the roles of various writers uh, throughout history, like Hemingway and Dickens. I don't know. He's someone who has such a specific personality on screen and such a specific voice and physicality that why would you um, try to mess with that? But let's put some scores and final comments on everybody's talking about Jamie. LRL I'll come to you first. So these are three scores out of five um, in anticipation, enjoyment in retrospect. I would go for three in anticipation because I 
thought it would be flat and terrible like many, many other movie musicals I've seen, uh, including, I'm sorry, I have to name it, um, Amazon's Cinderella, uh, which I think is trying to do similar things musically and is a, uh, I think, is a complete failure. Um, but then for coming back to Jamie, uh, I would give it four for enjoyment. Um, probably four in retrospect. I think... I had a really nice time and I think it's doing what it wanted to do really well. Mm-hmm. And Ella, before we go to David, David mentioned this might play better at home than in the cinema. What, what do you think about on that point? I, so I both times I watched it, I watched it at home and I kind of wish I watched it in a cinema um, just because I think it's, I think a lot of people who go and see it in the cinema, I would just, I would expect would know the songs to an extent and I think there's always a bit of a nice atmosphere when you know in a kind of <laughs> in a kind of greatest showman sort of way when uh you know when everyone's on the same page there's just a nice lively atmosphere I think but mm. but I enjoyed it at home so both why not yeah <laughs> why not both David what are your scores well I I, I think I was going to give it threes and then and then and then and and then I sort of saw Hedwig again and I was like, no, this is just so much better. So I think it's going to be like three, two, two for me. Um, yeah, it just didn't. It just, the, the, yeah, it just, I, I can't, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not part of the cult. I, I, I just, it didn't, just didn't land for me. Um, I, I, it felt too sort of theatrical displaced to a, to a cinema screen. And I thought, yeah, Max Harwood, very good, but, but otherwise, the songs just didn't work and the story just felt very kind of minor key for a musical. I don't know. I think I feel like with a musical, you what you, you need something bigger, but hey ho. Well, there you have it listeners to, uh, to very different takes on Jamie. If you see the film this weekend, whether at home or in the cinema, uh, do let us know what you make of it at the usual channels at LW lies on Twitter or truth and movies at TCO London.com up next we have Rose Plays Julie. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Veterinary student Rose decides to contact Ellen, the birth mother who gave her up for adoption. Ellen, a successful London-based actress, doesn't want to know. Undeterred, Rose is led by her curiosity and discovers a series of revelations that shake the fragile identity she has built for herself. So David, Joe Lawler and Christine Malloy... Very quietly, two of the most exciting filmmakers, I think, in the British film industry, putting out a film every couple of years. Could you introduce The Desperate Optimists to us very quickly and tell us what they're doing with Rose Plays Julie? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, so they're, so they're, they're Irish. They're, based, they're now based in London. They are, um, they've been making... They started in kind of experimental theatre uh, and then they moved to uh, cinema. They did the series of... Uh, uh, of short films which came under this banner of civic life which kind of were, were, many of which were kind of like long 10 minute takes uh, like a whole like reel of film and there were these intricate kind of tracking shots but kind of before before the time when doing intricate tra- tracking shots was a kind of like must must have in in your kind of you know oscar bait movie um and then uh, they they moved to features. They did the, 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 they've they've only done they've done sort of three three fiction features and a doc. And I think they're working on another doc now. Uh, the, the, they they had a bit of a breakthrough in two thousand and seven with this film called Helen, which was kind of like a really interesting arty kind of Antonioni thing of a. And it's a I guess it's a sort of similar setup of a it's a, it's a film about a girl who goes missing and then that they decide to cr- to make a reenactment and then the girl who's playing the girl who's gone missing kind of really almost sort of takes over her life like that Antonioni the passenger style kind of setup. Um, this one is like very much a it feels like a kind of of a piece with with Helen, in that you have a uh, uh, a, a woman who of unknown parentage who. Uh, goes on this kind of journey of self-discovery when she comes of age and finds all these kind of dark revelations about who she is how she was brought up why she's in the situation she is um and i think what what initially begins as quite as quite a sort of cerebral dramatic quite sort of interior actory kind of film and like almost kind of merges very subtly into this kind of like quite mind mind melting kind of revenge thriller that that still that that's that kind of works on these levels that that's almost kind of christopher nolan-esque when it comes to like you know that the, the motivations and what why people are doing things and where they're doing it and it's it's a kind of it's an amazing kind of high wire sort of plotting act that the where you get from like point A at the, in the beginning to point B at the end, 
um but yeah i i i loved it i, I, I mean it's it was just it, it, it's i think it's their most ambitious film it's really it's really also quite um bold and brave in what it's trying to do and say and i think it it's definitely a film that kind of you know is 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 built to provoke debate it's not it's, it doesn't really offer easy answers or easy outcomes uh even the ending i think is you know if if people come away from it saying they hate the ending I, i'd be like yeah fine i i believe you you know it's, I'm, I'm not going to try and convince you otherwise but i think i feel the filmmakers have like engineered it in that way um they don't want a kind of like you know satisfies satisfying cozy closure they want something that is more kind of dirty nasty stick in your craw kind of thing and and, and i think the, the film achieves it wow dirty nasty ella was this your your jam <laughs> um i i was really impressed by this i was impressed by it uh i i saw it like two years ago before the pandemic mm-hmm. uh in the cinema and it completely took me by surprise and then re-watching it i think i felt uh ever so slightly more muted on it but um I th- because I think a lot of it, as David was saying, is in the really kind of surprising plotting, which comes out of nowhere. And I just had no idea what was going on the first time, whereas the second time, well, you know, I knew it was happening. But um, yeah, I think it's really good. And I think uh, I, I appreciated how calm and clinical it is in a way. Like it's got all of these dirty, nasty, complicated things, but um, it's not it's not graphic. It doesn't yell it doesn't explode it doesn't yeah it doesn't scream and there's nothing wrong with films like that that do um but i i quite appreciate uh revenge thrillers um particularly ones about women which keep things really restrained and you've got this central performance in here from Anne skelly as as rose who is just incredible and she just is so powerful in a really really measured way um some parts of it reminded me a little bit of Carrie Mulligan in Promising Young Woman, just in terms of just in terms of keeping it all in and just having this kind of deadpan like resolve throughout it. You know, you you, you think that she should break or there's a moment where she's gonna just completely lose it. Um and she never does. And and considering how much younger Unskelly is and I, I haven't seen her in many things, certainly far fewer than Carrie Mulligan, um, I thought she was great. I thought, yeah, it was really convincing two great discoveries of young young actors there for you Ella this week one one treat um for me with um the films by Lola and Malloy is uh their continuing collaboration with Aidan Gillen an actor who when he's in films you know like Dark Knight Rises or whatever um is often underused whereas they really know how to use him Mr John is a great example of that um is he what's he like in this one are they how, how does he appear terrifying in a good way he made my skin crawl and but in in lots of different ways repeatedly you'd kind of first introduce him and you can tell that he's mysterious and complex and there's something very sinister going on there um and then it just becomes even more insidious and and again it never quite resorts to this extreme brutality on on screen at least um just really unsettling he just I don't know. I found his performance in this is one that I kept thinking about in a way that I didn't want to keep thinking about it. He just he just stuck in my mind, and I was like, "Why are you still there?" Um, yeah, but I guess that's good. Well done. I think I think the thing <laughs> about him is that the way the way they kind of draw him is so counterintuitive to the kind of. I mean, and, and again, it's I I think again, 
his his character is very similar to like the Bo Burnham character in in Promising Young Woman in that there is you know there is they're they're not painting him as like you know evil incarnate they're trying to sort of mess with mess with this idea that you know these people who have done things in their lives can come across when you meet them as just completely lovely normal nice people but actually you know the the, the sort of the dark heart is there and I think Aidan Gillen is just very very good at at doing that um but yeah he he I I, be, I, be, I read somewhere that he wasn't like that he really had to be convinced to do this role uh I I, I don't think he was like completely game initially but but eventually came on board so um but yeah I can imagine you know it's quite a sort of complex complex character to to sort of bring to life all right so let's put some scores on Rose plays Julie David I'll come to you first um yeah i'd probably say it's uh four for anticipation four four for enjoyment five in retrospect i think it's kind of yeah it's a film that sort of toys with you while you're watching it it kind of takes you in a, in, a, in many different directions and you know i wouldn't i wouldn't be i wouldn't li- i i i i would, wouldn't be lying when i said there's su- there are some moments in the film where i kind of bridled and thought what we're doing this is happening or we're going here i i can't believe that and then but it's definitely one that the more the you know it sits with you, you think about it, you kind of unpick it, unlock it, and yeah, it's it 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 just sort of makes more sense in the in the rear view. Hmm. Ella, I'm gonna go three four three. I think um, I was very 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 shocked, very gripped while watching it. But I think the more I thought about it. I'm kind of framing it against a lot of other thrillers in this sort of genre. Um, and I think it's solid, but it's not... I think because it's so restrained and sure of what it's doing in its own world that it it, it stayed in its world and I stayed a little bit distant from it. Um, but I think it's a very, very subjective one, like all of the ones in this kind of subgenre. Um, so I very much understand a five in retrospect as well. Um, yeah, very impressive. Fantastic. So those are your two new releases this week, listeners. Up next, we're going to Film Club for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So here is the blurb for Hedwig and the Angry Inch from its very recent release from the Criterion Collection. With this trailblazing musical, writer-director star John Cameron Mitchell and composer-lyricist Stephen Trask brought their signature creation from stage to screen for a movie as unclassifiable as its protagonist. Raised a boy in East Berlin, Hedwig undergoes a traumatic personal transformation in order to emigrate to the US, where she reinvents herself as a divinely talented rock diva. The film tells Hedwig's life through her music, an eclectic assortment of original punk anthems and power ballads. So, Ella, I'll come to you first on this because it's always fun with Film Club to talk about our experiences, our first experiences of this film. I, this was a first watch of the film for me and this was always a rainy day movie that I knew I'd come to one day because way back when, gosh, you know, however many years, back in 2005 when I was a teenager, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and on my first night there, a few, I met some friends. I was still at high school, some of my friends who'd gone to uni dragged me along to a show that was in a dingy bar 
that was the Hedwig and the Younger Inch show, which was being put on by students. And the actual stage show is done just as a live gig where narrative stuff happens around the site, the, the edges of the songs. And I had no idea what I was going through. But then after that, I followed John Cameron, Cameron Mitchell's career through short bus and um, how to talk to girls at parties, rabbit hole, his acting on TV, which has been terrific. And then finally watching this was such a treat for me. But was this a first watch for you, Hedwig and the Angry Inch? What did you make of it? It, it was a first watch for me. Uh, I mean, I went in completely blind. Uh, I'd, I'd heard the title, vaguely seen some posters, maybe a, a still or two. But no, I had no idea. And uh, I had the best time. Um, I think the moment that I really was just it kind of clicked for me and I thought, oh, this is incredible, was uh, when they started singing The Origin of Love, um, a song that I love and had never realised it was from there. And so I was, I, I, had to, I had to pause the film, was frantically Googling it. I was like, this can't be from this film. Like, what? they've taken this from somewhere else. Um, and they haven't. And it's from this film. Um, and it's so good. Um, yeah, I had such a good time. I think... It's, it's interesting hearing about the stage show is kind of more focused on the songs and having a little bit of narrative like to the sides of it um which is how I, how I felt watching the film like I cared a lot more about the performances um than narrative that did or didn't happen um I don't know if that's because I thought the narrative was weak or the songs were so good um but either way I don't know I, I enjoyed that kind of musical experience placing so much in importance on the performances rather than having this story in which you have to shoehorn songs which is just my least favorite thing um about this genre as and when you can tell that people are really kind of clutching at straws to try and like squeeze a song in there um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's such a good time Um, and again i watched it at home and would love to see it on a big screen particularly with you know i'm sure there's a, a lot of uh very very passionate fans who who know all the beats really well Absolutely. David, you mentioned rewatching Hedwig and the Iron Ginch diminish Jamie in your mind. So can you tell us what, what, what was it like re- revisiting it and what was your take the first time you saw it as well? Um, yeah, I remember seeing it when, it when it came out in the cinemas, just not really knowing anything about it and, and enjoying it. I mean, I, must, I think I must have enjoyed it because I've got like a kind of original release DVD, which I kind of bought out of the bought out of mothballs to, to, to watch again. Um, but yeah, no, it's just it's just it's 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 such a fun film, and I think I I think watch rewatching it, I was just really blown away by the kind of just the the sheer quality of it, like um, the inventiveness of all the kind of tit- the titles and the production design, John Cameron Mitchell's performance, the songs themselves, the the sto- the sort of storyline and how the story is kind of visualized it's it's just it it just works so well and and i think one one of the things i found really i think i think i find it really funny actually the like john john cameron mitchell's delivery i I tell you what it reminded me of like in a good way so one of my one of my favorite scenes in all of cinema and i'm sure it is yours too is from the film austin powers and uh, <laughs> it's the it's the sequence where Doctor Evil does his like uh, weird monologue in therapy, where he's talking about summers in Rangoon, luge lessons, all that kind of stuff. And it's it, listening to when uh, when Hedvig's doing the the stage banter, it's almost as good as that. I think it's just, it's it's got that kind of 
really dry um you know that bit where she, where she, where she says oh they threw tomatoes at me i made a salad you know <laughs> it was it, it 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 just very really funny wry delivery um but yeah i mean i think the thing about this film is 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 you know seeing it again i'm just i'm kind of surprised that it hasn't um to my knowledge still still make make still a hit on the kind of late night circuit i'm surprised that places like you know prince charles in cinema in london um aren't aren't doing it as like a kind of friday night midnight screening um no obviously they're doing lots and lots of other amazing stuff and there's no no disrespect to to you know the best cinema in london but like you know the the it's just, it i i kind of thought it had that sort of rocky horror picture show energy that you that you could actually like you know you'd have people dressing up you'd have people going in in the kind of you know what what's that kind of hair that sort of um charlie's angels uh what's that hairstyle called that's kind it's, of it's like a shag like a shag yeah haircut. it's it's trendy again now everyone's getting them now oh, they should start spreading headwig again yeah this is it this is this is the reason to for it for the hedwig revival um but yeah you, you know it, it it could just it could it would totally slay yeah i i think that speaks quite directly to the unfortunate release date this film had of the 12th of September 2001 um, which just meant that it had no real cinema release, no one went really went to see this film. I think in new, particularly Broadway musical circles it was a big deal and they've had revivals on stage but the film um, maybe didn't catch hold in that cult sense it is so amazing how um you know, you talk about uh, David, like sort of imperfect films or films that don't aren't cozy and sat- fully satisfying, and this is one that has so many ideas and so much energy to it that it isn't a perfect film, but isn't that better than something that is polished to being inoffensive? And John Cameron Mitchell does have that um, that 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 uh, presence on screen where he is kind of amazing and overwhelming, but also a little bit aggravating and grating at times it's used so well in his recent reinvention as a tv actor and stuff like shrill and the good fight i mean his next role is wild he has been cast as joe exotic he of tiger king fame from (laughs) that of lockdown one fame um and watching hedwig for the first time i was i i'm not I, I know who John Cameron Mitchell is, but I haven't watched loads of his stuff. Um, but watching Hedwig, I was like, yeah, this this kind of wild, um, sad, theatrical, ridiculous, weirdly moving energy makes sense in a strange way for whatever and whoever Joe Exotic is. Um, I can't believe I'm now looking forward to watching that, but because of Hedwig, I am. What a world. I kind I kind of think I I think it's sad, like I know I I'd, I'd be interested to know what his kind of you know if he's made a sort of choice to to actually pivot from doing movies and directing to more acting stuff. Um I know that that um how to talk to girls at parties was was not was not a, not a big success. Um but the the I, I, it, it troubles me that someone like John Cameron Mitchell, after having made something like Hedwig and even even Short Bus, uh, to a sense that that what you know, why isn't he directing the Amazon Presents Cinderella? You know, like what 
why isn't he doing these things that are actually that, you know that are actually going to bring a bit more kind of credibility and edge and originality to these films rather than the absolute kind of you know templated dim-witted safe versions that are kind of being churned mm-hmm. out for, for 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 you know friday night on the on the wine you know like it's uh it's it, it, it troubles me it, it it troubles me that he hasn't been scooped up and embraced into hollywood's teat well i i i think we we know why a filmmaker like him isn't making films like that because of the you know the the fault lines between what was in the 80s and 90s queer cinema and this is maybe just on the the final cusp of that the edge of that and then how those things are co-opted into more mainstream fare in the last 15 years uh, by major productions like Cinderella. David, um, do you think that what, what do you think uh, John Cameron Mitchell's Moulin Rouge would be like? Another film. <laughs> the only reason I bring it up as well is because Moulin Rouge also came out in 2001 um, and it came out a couple months after Hedwig, I think. So it came at a moment when people were looking several months later for that kind of comfort. So I think it did much better once it actually came out on Home Entertainment. What would have happened if he would have made Moulin Rouge? <laughs> Oh, I'd, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think Moulin Rouge is 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 kind of pure Baz Luhrmann, and I, and I think it's in that sense. I think it's it works as, as a movie. I, I, I just, I, I just, I, I, I mean, I just find the film like headache inducing. In <laughs> it's kind of it's just it's this kind of onslaught of like stuff, and it just it just it, it just, I just find it very tiring film to watch. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what what John Cameron Mitchell would. Have, I mean, you know, that I guess they're sort of like birds of a feather in a way. There's like the kind of alternative movie musicals and that deal with kind of camp and um, the the you know the the, the sort of myth, fairy tales, myths, and things like that. But yeah, I don't know. I the, the, Moulin Rouge is just is is just the film I will never I'll never come around to. I think it's the I first film. Sorry, last thing, last thing. It's the first film <laughs> I really remember going to the cinema and having like because you know going to the cinema when you're young, you could be watching like you know static on the screen and it'd be like this is fun. I'm not at home, but that was the one of the first films that I genuinely remember thinking I'm not having a good time in the cinema. I'm really. You would have rather watched Static than Moulin Rouge. I would have (laughs) rather. Not saying I'd rather. Well, (laughs) maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe now that I'm into like James Benning films and things like that. But you know, um, (laughs) yeah, Moulin Rouge was my my first bad time in the cinema. Sorry. Sorry. Well, well, yeah. This 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 became a a very inadvertent (laughs) film clip. Uh, segments on Mulan Rouge. One thing I will no, say, no, absolutely I think... no disrespect to the to, to the many millions of <laughs> Mulan Rouge, Rouge lovers, including Ella. This is my problem, not yours. <laughs> Ella, you, you thought that this was being too conventional a program. We needed David to drop one of his controversial takes. That's what I'm here for. We're getting back Sorry, to guys. the way we used to be before the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> I will say before we sign off on Hedwig, though, the soundtrack is great, and if 
maybe the spirit of a film like this wasn't continued on screen, I would recommend going and checking out the albums of uh, the punk rock band Against Me. There's a, a concept album called Transgender Dysphoria Blues when um, their lead singer, Laura Jane Grace, um, yeah, went through gender confirmation um, experiences and made, turned it into a concept album. It has that punk, raw punk rock spirit that this film does as well. It's definitely worth checking that out. I'd love to see Hedwig get reappraised and reassessed and revived. I'd, I'd see how it's aged, see how it's aged like a fine wine or aged like a an old ratty uh, denim jacket, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, David, Ella, thank you so much for joining me this week. Listeners, let us know what you make of any of the films we talked about this week. Uh, the usual channels, at Lies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email. Next week, we have The Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark. We have The Green Knight. And for Film Club, we're going to go back to a crime classic for Gomorrah. Listeners, subscribe wherever you pod. If you're a podcast player of choice, let's leave reviews. We'd love you to leave one for us there. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Subtle results. Still you, but with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia Gravis or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.